Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Caroline Diarchy Edwards and Maria Wick Villa. We are going to talk about an unprecedented event that just occurred. It is the sentencing of a former business school dean for cheating on the rankings. This is the first time a college official of any kind has actually been prosecuted by a federal prosecutor, convicted, and now sentenced to jail for lying on the rankings. In this case, the dean was Dean Moshe Parat of Temple University's Fox School of Business in Philadelphia. If you've been following this case, and we've written many stories about it, uh, you'll know exactly what happened. In in effect, he basically uh, inflated the percentage of students that who were enrolled who submitted a standardized test and inflated the um, uh, GMAT score for the entering class. And by doing these and other things, ended up getting a number one ranking for four straight years for their online MBA program in U.S. News. But the school in uh, Parat cheated on a number of rankings uh, in addition to its online MBA ranking. But the big deal was getting that number one list, which, of course, attracted a lot of uh, potential students into the program. So Dean Parat was sentenced to 14 months in federal prison, also three years of supervised probation, a quarter of a million dollar fine, and 300 hours of community service. That sounds rather severe, but when you read what the judge said to him at the sentencing, it's kind of interesting. He said, this could be my first case where from start to finish, I was never given one word or gesture to hang my hat on, to be able to say that the defendant has had some remorse or that he accepted some responsibility. A constant theme coming from Moshe Parat is that he did nothing wrong, that he was betrayed by his subordinates. Any such assertion, which I've overheard in his comments and in his smirking from counsel's table, is insultingly silly, and it is contrary to all of the evidence that the court saw and that the jurors based their decision on. So what did he really do? He lied to a magazine. Do you think it's fair that this guy who is 74 years of age should be going to jail? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think I think he's been made an example of, right, because it's not the first case of of fiddling the data, quite frankly. But he seems to be extremely blatant about it and um, unrepentant. So, you know, if he played things differently, perhaps he would have got off a bit lighter. But, you know, I think the government wanted to to send a clear message to schools that, this is a, a serious offense that people make important decisions, right? Important life decisions based on the information that's published about schools. And, um, you know, they decide which program to apply to. They may just decide which program to attend based on some of that data. And so, you know, it's it's misleading people in a, in a way that, you know, can have a significant impact on people's futures. So, so yes, it is serious. And I, I think it sends an important message to schools that, you know, that honesty is very important here. And it, it's not a game. It is, you know, it, it, it's critical information for the market and for their customers. And 
you know that they 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 need to understand that you you know you have to be the the integrity of the data is is very important here right and you know the university itself has already stated that it lost a minimum of 17 million dollars in remediation costs this occurred through fines it had to pay lawyers it had to hire settlements uh, with uh, students who uh, filed the class action suit claiming that they were defrauded. So the university had mm-hmm. to put out a minimum of $17 million already. Maria, what do you think? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, before we started recording, we were saying, well, is it is it worth it to go, or does it make sense that someone would go to jail simply for lying to a magazine? Uh, and I think people lie to magazines all the time, but those things have no real repercussions. So for example, if a Hollywood starlet claims that for a fifth birthday in a row that she's 29, it's her 29th (laughs) birthday, or if a certain action star claims to be six foot two when they're really five foot eight, like, okay, you know, that sort of stuff happens at least in the Hollywood world all the time. Uh, But there are no real consequences. I think in this case, the deception First of all, it was clearly something that had to be orchestrated, right? There had to be some sort of premeditated thought to go into this level of deceit. It wasn't like, oh, I misspoke and I said I was 29, but I'm really 47. Like, no, I mean, it was it was a very significant amount of effort that went into this this level of fraud. And as Caroline pointed out, people made make decisions based on this. They chose to go to school. They were paying, I believe, the the tuition for the online program was around uh, sixty thousand dollars. That's you know, that's that's quite a bit of money to pay for a school that you think you're getting the number one online program, and you're really getting something that is a far lower quality. So I, um, I I feel I feel terrible for the school. I almost wonder if the school will now sue if they haven't already. If they will sue this person, saying, "Look, we had to pay seventeen million dollars because of your individual fraud." And so maybe, maybe you only, you know, I think it was, you said it was like 14 months or, or something, but we want you to, we want you to give us some more money back because that's, I feel bad for all the, the hardworking people at that, at that program. I feel bad for the people who went to the school. There are just, a, there's a lot of collateral damage as a result of this. And it's pretty, it's pretty sad. Yeah. And it does speak to how serious it was. I mean, it was an orchestrated campaign to cheat. Uh, a statistics professor was actually asked to reverse engineer the rankings to see, you know, what would happen if they were able to, or if they simply reported uh, stuff that they didn't have, what impact would it actually have on their ranking? And then they falsified uh, a number of of metrics uh, to make sure that they were number one. And it, you know, they were number one in uh, 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018 uh, until they basically were forced to go back to U.S. to say, hey, we made a little mistake on our data, never thinking that uh, by admitting a simple mistake, which was not a mistake, it was deliberate, that it, the whole thing would unravel because then the university called in a law firm to investigate and the law firm found uh, outright fraud and that led to one thing after another. But you know, one of the interesting things in the case is why the U.S. prosecutor decided to go after the dean. It's never been done before. And it turns out that the former dean can blame himself for this. He was so arrogant, so smug, that he filed a defamation lawsuit against the university after he was fired from his job. And that suit 
required a fair number of depositions to be filed and people to be questioned. And the depositions were incredibly damaging to him and revealed the extent of the fraud. More than that, his deposition, which was videotaped, caught him in a number of contradictions and outright lies. And it's those lies and the arrogance that the former dean showed that basically convinced the prosecutor to go after him. So, so his own arrogance and his own refusal to accept any responsibility and instead to blame others for this, uh, and then to file a lawsuit against the university, uh, is actually what caused the prosecutor to go after him, which I think there's a lesson in this. <laughs> it's the little- I was just going to say, I'm sorry, I thought you were done. I think the lesson is to look up the the definition of the word defamation before you sue someone for it, because it's not defamation if it's true. What was he thinking? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to drop down. I really thought you were done, but I'm like, what? No, no, that's that's, right. He actually did it. So why would it be defamation? It's kind of unreal, you know? I mean, it's just crazy. He sued the university for $25 million. Um, and, And it just totally unraveled him and, and got the U.S. government after him because the prosecutor read his deposition and read the other depositions and it was clear he was guilty of sin. And they went after him. So and Lord knows what his own defense cost him already. I'm imagining it cost him an awful lot of money because he hired a very high powered attorney in Philadelphia to defend him. And frankly, I think the attorney did a disservice to him. He should have convinced the dean to basically throw himself at the mercy of the court. Uh, And instead of arguing that he was innocent, he should have argued whether or not this is a a federal crime. And they could have focused their defense on more technical legal arguments uh, instead of pretending that this guy was innocent when he was clearly not innocent uh, and had no, no grounds to... Uh, claim that he knew nothing about this and uh, he himself was betrayed. It's really uh, remarkable. Now, we do know, incidentally, and, and this has happened before, that different schools cheat on rankings. And, and when, even when they don't cheat, they report numbers in the most favorable possible light by reinterpreting questions that are asked. So when the questions on these surveys are not ironclad and allow room for interpretation, you can bet that the school will interpret the question in a way that allows the school to provide an answer that's more positive to it. And then there's also, you know, for some of these rankings where they actually survey alumni or students on a number of occasions, schools have been caught basically lobbying their students to fill out the surveys in the most positive way, which, you know, always goes to the point that we've made in the past, you know, rankings are incredibly limited, they're flawed, they're imperfect, and people pay way too much attention to them. And I think this case, if anything, above and beyond, you know, the tragedy that it is for the school and the former dean, who I said before was 74, actually 75, And he has a number of illnesses, apparently, and his wife is ill and in a wheelchair, and he is her uh, primary caretaker. So it's really tragic that this guy's arrogance led to his total downfall. But 
you know, it is what it is. And I think it will send a message to other schools, as you point out, Caroline, that, you know, the, the prosecutor wanted to make an example of him. And I think that's really true. I mean, wouldn't you think now, Caroline, that any admissions director or dean who's tempted to cheat on the rankings would never do it? I think it's uh, definitely um, going to be a, a case that sets an <laughs> sets an example and will be taken note of. And um, you know, I, I'm pleased because, you know, as you know, when I was at INSEAD, I was responsible for lots of data submissions for rankings, and you know, frankly, it was the bane of my life because it took a huge amount of time, and <laughs> and you know, it's often frustrating because we were incredibly scrupulous in in you know the data that we provided and we had you know suspicion suspicions that some other schools weren't um right. and um you know that's that's incredibly frustrating and and um you know i think one good thing for example about the financial times ranking is they do actually go around and audit the data and they go and you know install their staff at the schools and they go through everything and i think that you know ensures a certain quality of data which may not be the case in 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 all rankings yeah so, it is not the case the ft is the only major ranking organization that actually does uh, audits every three years of the school's data which is admirable you know that raises a whole other question to what extent is u.s news responsible for ranking this school without auditing any numbers without the kinds of checks that the financial times does mm. uh and it should u.s news bear res some responsibility for basically creating a system through which a school can manipulate its data and therefore get ranked more highly by u.s news maria do you think that there's some culpability here on the part of u.s news <laughs> I appreciate the the trapped and leading way in which you're trying. To, you're asking the question <laughs> so to get me to say yes. Let's burn them to the ground. No, I mean, look, I think I think U.S. News. You know, at a certain point, you just have to trust that if you're asking people for their average GMAT scores, that they're going to give you something honest. I mean, I think the fact that U.S. News itself, I, as far as I know, was not sued as part of this, or if they were, I'm assuming the no, they were not. Would it, right. And I think and I think if they would have tried, I think that would have been dismissed. It, it, you know, I, I do think, though, that I, there is, as we've talked about before, the culture of trying to massage the rankings. Right. So I don't think that necessarily outright fraud may be occurring at other schools. But I definitely think that there may be situations where, you know, maybe a candidate with a lower GMAT score eh, if you take the GRE, that way we don't have to include your lower score in our average GMAT like maybe yeah, that will yeah. be better for you. Or um, one of my personal pet peeves, when, when schools try to really inflate how many people are applying to their school, they're not lying about how many people are applying to their school. But some of them, I think, are engaging in less than savory practices in terms of making it sound like on their webinars or whatever, like anyone can get in, <laughs> you know, you can get in and you can get in. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that schools sometimes are a little too they, they sort of mask how competitive the process is in their quest to get as many applicants as possible and therefore drive down the acceptance rate, knowing that the acceptance rate is seen as sort of a badge of eliteness of the school. So yeah, yeah. I definitely think that these, whether or not schools consciously do it or not, I think they definitely try to do things like this in with the rankings in mind. Whereas if the rankings did not exist, I like to think that they would focus on other ways to prove their quality. 
you know, there's that old saw about the child who puts uh, his or her hand on the stove and after being burnt once, uh, never does it again. And I do think that this decision, in fact, that this um, former dean is going to end up behind bars is going to have the same effect. People who are tempted even to massage data may shy away from it, knowing that the consequences of it are that severe, that high. Before it was just, okay, well, maybe I'll get caught, maybe I won't. You know, what difference does it make? But boy, if you have the federal government coming after you, forget it. You're not going to take a chance and, and do something stupid like this. The other thing that Bear is pointing out is, you know, while there's a lot of schools that do this here and there, they never do it to the extent that they get named number one, that their program is actually at the top of the list. And then when it's done, it's often not done uh, for so many years. So this was truly an extraordinary case and one that directly involved the dean. And, you know, in a few other cases, for example, Tulane's business school a number of years ago was caught cheating. And uh, the dean was not implicated in that scandal. Uh, It was more like the admissions director was who was reporting the data. And he was simply let go quietly, but there was no, it didn't go straight up to the top of the, of the business school like this one did. So, so it is an extraordinary case. It's an unusual case. And this poor guy is going to end up in jail now as a result. I, um, on some level, I actually feel sorry for him, even though, let me just tell you, he was a real bully. He was a micromanager. People who worked for him were afraid of him. He's just not a nice guy. And, you know, the prosecutor was seeking up to 11 years in jail and a restitution of something like five and a half million dollars plus the quarter million dollar fine. So they only got 14 months. But I think, you know, that's enough, really, Uh, along with the probation, uh, the quarter million dollar fine. And as we pointed out before, uh, the years of community service that he would be required to to have. It's interesting, you know, when you when you hear what he said to the court, you know, generally at these proceedings, you know, you plead for some sort of mercy and you basically uh, say something that's going to convince the judge to give you a little bit of a break, for goodness sake. Uh, instead, this guy just said, hey, you know, uh, I'm not sorry. Uh, in fact, I'm just, I need to help my wife because she's not well. Uh, and so therefore you shouldn't send me to jail. <laughs> uh, not a convincing argument, not at all. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> any John, last words? Yeah, any I, last actually, words? I have a question. I have a question actually. So John, cause I, I actually pulled up the article that you wrote when they first came out at, at the, at the top of the rankings and you actually wrote an unlikely winner claimed the top yes. spot. And so I'm just wondering, you know, I, I guess you you feel you feel sorry for him because of some of his personal circumstances, right? If this guy were like a fit sure. 27-year-old who's single and a bro, maybe, maybe you'd be like, whatever, it's fine. It's a year in prison. Uh, but how did you feel as a journalist when you, I mean, don't didn't you feel a little bamboozled by this? And oh, yeah, sure. So because, so I yeah. Because I, while I reported with some skepticism, yeah. And then got into some of the numbers and showed how they were 
you know, when you when you compare them to other competitors in the field, competitors with bigger brands, greater prestige, better faculty, better students, and and his numbers are better than than yeah. a UNC in Indiana. It just didn't make any sense. So yeah, I I felt a little bamboozled too because even though I pointed that stuff out and was skepticism skeptical about uh, some of those metrics. I still didn't imagine that they actually cheated and just created them out of, you know, out of nothing. So that was pretty amazing. Here's what Parat said when he addressed the court for the first time. I'm 75 years old, truly in the twilight of my life and experiencing systemic illnesses. Not only the heart, but the diabetes is very serious, he said. And I am the primary caregiver of my wife who suffers a myriad of ailments after a tremendous career of helping premature babies. But she cared for and supported me for nearly 52 years. She badly needs my support and I need hers. We have very little time left on God's earth to help others and provide some joy to our six young grandchildren. It is my humble request that you will allow me to help Rachel and others less fortunate than us in the community. And that was his statement. No remorse, <laughs> no responsibility accepted. Rather, you know, he, he allowed his false claims that others, you know, betrayed him and, and uh, submitted these numbers, not on his behalf, but on their own behalf, and he had, no, he had no knowledge about it, nothing, he had nothing to do with it. This is what he said to get mercy from the judge. It obviously didn't work. Mm. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for him at all. Sorry, John. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel sorry for him at all, right? This is not a victimless crime. And yeah, you mentioned a second ago, I, yeah, Indiana and UNC, they also suffered because they got pushed down in the rankings unfairly. So it's That's not true. a victimless crime. And if this guy really is in the twilight of his life and thinks he's going to meet God soon, all the more reason for him to, to lead a God-fearing life and use this as a chance to repent. So for him to dig in his heels and be like, I'm in the twilight of my life, you know, buddy, all the more reason to uh, maybe reconsider that whole repentance thing i don't i mean whatever i'm just i'm just saying uh, different strokes for different folks but you know if your wife depends on you all the more reason to do to live by the straight and narrow and not try to end up in jail so yes I'm sorry <laughs> I, I, I do think that it's it is surprising that us news doesn't do more though to to audit the data because it is i mean it plays such a significant role in the market right those rankings um, you know, and, and perhaps even more so at the undergraduate level. And, you know, it, it plays a huge role in um, determining where people apply and, I um, mean, you know, the market dynamics. And to me, it's shoddy journalism that they're not yeah, in doing fact, more since you mentioned undergraduate yeah. In fact, because you mentioned the undergraduate rankings in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, there has been a professor at Columbia University, uh, which was ranked number two by U.S. News uh, overall as a university, not just a business school. But the professor basically says uh, it's all based on false data. Uh, and this is a, a professor at the university itself who's making these claims uh, about Columbia University's rise in the U.S. News ranking. So there you have it. If any, if anything, here's the takeaway. 
And we've said this before. It needs to be said again. Treat these rankings with one big grain of salt. Uh, because whether or not a school cheats, the methodologies of these different rankings uh, hardly get close to measuring the true quality of an education. Yep, uh, it's, there's some entertainment value. If you parse the numbers, you might get some good data to use to help inform your decision about where to go or whether to accept uh, an offer. Uh, but, but don't just think that because a school is ranked three and another is ranked six and you got into three, you should be going to three. That's the big takeaway. All right, Caroline and Maria, a pleasure as always. And for all of you out there, uh, good luck on your MBA journey. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You've been listening to Business Casual. Thank you.